This is an NAC podcast. Welcome to the We Love Canadian Music Podcast. I'm your host, NAC Presents Executive Producer, Heather Gibson. We Love Canadian Music brings you up-close and personal interviews with Canadian musicians on far-ranging topics from life on the road to the artists they find most inspiring. Join us every two weeks for a new interview. So, trying to Rebecca Noel today, and um, just going to ask you some some random questions because that's what we do here on this podcast. And um, so, you came in here with this magazine of you looking quite. What would you say, vampy? I feel a yes. Vampy. <laughs> <laughs> Who's taking on? Is somebody's like saying to you, like, throw on this beautiful red dress and. Or do you have yeah, management was, and um, agents and everyone's doing that with you? I have I have a couple people that I like to consult with right. about fashion. Uh, and uh, it was Mary Joelle LeBlanc who said, wait a minute, hold on, I can't do this. I got to make sure I said her name right. So this is Ottawa Star Magazine. <laughs> yeah. Right. So for the people who are, who are listening who may not know uh, Rebecca Noel, she is becoming a household name here in Ottawa. And um, one of the places that people started to hear about you um, was on Lavoie. Is that right? Yes. Would that be accurate? Yes, that is correct. And so I know from being someone, being living outside of Quebec, I had no idea what Lavoie is. So what is that? So I also had no idea. Um, but that's also partially to blame because uh, the whole like television situation now, a lot of people don't subscribe to you know, regular... Regular TV. Local programming. Everyone's right. kind of watching their favorite stuff on Netflix for the most part. And so I was sort of definitely in that group of people. And so I had no idea what was going on um, in the television world, especially what was going on in the Francophone television world. Right. So is it a Quebecois or it, is it Franco-Ontarian? It is Quebecois. Okay. Um, but it's actually, it's a it's a national program. So it's... It, like all people from all across Canada are eligible for it, but the program is formatted in French, and that okay. is basically the the Voice franchise. Um, they've allowed like every company to have their own version of the Voice. Okay. Um, every country, you know, there's the Voice Holland and the the, the American one, and so the Canadian one was as soon as it became available was snatched up by a production company out of Montreal, okay. and so they formatted the show in French, and so. A lot of the Anglophone singers like me just weren't aware of it. I right. just wasn't. I had no idea it was no idea that it was going on. And I received an email um, last the summer before last summer. Uh, it was in about August. I received this email inviting me to come audition for this show. And I I did a little bit of research online and I watched a couple snippets and I saw how very 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 much in French it was. And right. I thought, oh, I don't know if this is going to be. A good situation for me because I mean I can communicate but that's kind of it like I don't think I can go on TV and like dazzle people with my interview skills and right. all that kind of stuff and so I thought no maybe this is probably not a good idea for me I, I was afraid that I would go on to 
TV and potentially completely embarrass myself. Right. So um, I just responded politely, like, thanks so much for considering me, but I don't think that I'm, I'd be good for, for this show. And then I get a response uh, and the, they're, they're asking, why, why, what's wrong? You know, and I said, well, it's mostly the language thing. I'm just kind of afraid of doing that whole thing. And they reassured me that they would help me through the whole process. They said, we have a lot of French singers singing in English. And so yes, as an English singer, you will be asked to sing in both languages. Um, all of the interviews will be in French, but some of them are pre-recorded. So if we ask you a question and you start stumbling over it, we can always stop rolling right. and we can go back and we can fix it. And so that kind of reassured me a little bit. I thought, I just, I felt like, okay, if, as long as as we can, we can sort of guarantee that I'm not gonna be left like hanging out on a limb, mm-hmm. um, I'll totally do it. So yeah. I went and I did it and I was terrified. The first, you know, the first couple auditions, um, just going through the whole process and everything was happening really, really fast. And a lot of a lot of the producers were coming in and explaining instructions to us very, very quickly in French. And I was like getting most of it, but missing right. details every once in a while. And um, the, the people around were just so nice. All the other singers And were, so is it your experience that most of the people that were on that show that it is a hand-picked thing? People are, so it's not a thing where you just show up like they used to line up for like an America's Got Talent type thing where you line up and somebody hopefully hears you. They actually send out invitations. Is that how it works? It is. It is open call. Right. But because they're in their fifth season, um, every year the amount of people showing up for the open auditions just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Right. Um, so obviously the first season, everyone had tried. And um, then, you know, the second season, fewer people go back, right? If you don't mm. make it the first time, you're like, well, sure. maybe it's not for me. And then you just don't go back. And so, yeah, I think the numbers were getting smaller. And so they had to start reaching outside of the province and trying to find uh, talent from all corners of the country because that's what the show is supposed to be. It is supposed to feature people from everywhere, not just in Quebec. Right. So that's why they were reaching out to singers because it's it's aired on TVA and a lot of people don't get TVA right. in Edmonton sure. or wherever. Well, and so I've had a couple people say to me, and me not knowing at all that um, how this works, that um, so you were the first runner up, and I've had a couple people say to me that that's the better spot, that winning is not necessarily the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> and why do you think that is? I was really happy with the outcome. I was. Um, because the... The winner has a lot of, uh, I think, I, I mean, I believe, I don't know this for, for a fact, but I know that there were a lot of um, people writing for for the record label that the winner would automatically be signed to. They had writers and producers okay. and, band, you know, the musicians. And so I thought if I end up becoming the winner, that means my next album is going to be with this label. It's going to be with all their musicians. I'm going to be you know, potentially co-writing with other songwriters, um, the production, I don't know who's going to be in right. charge of that. And so suddenly you're just letting go of all of the artistic control, which really made me uncomfortable because I've spent so many years, you know, practicing arranging mm-hmm. music and producing and getting comfortable calling the shots and making decisions. And suddenly I, I was potentially going to be in a position where I was going to have to give all that away. Right. Um, and also the record label is based out of Montreal and all of their artists are Francophone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was also another thing I thought, if I, if I make it, am I going to have to completely rebrand myself and, right. 
I don't write in French. I can't write in French at this point. And so does that mean I'm going to have to start co-writing with Francophone songwriters? And so I just thought, ooh, that right. makes me really uncomfortable. But uh, being the first runner-up meant that I got all the same exposure as the winner. But then at the end of the race, I just got to walk away. Right. You just got to go home. Yeah. yeah. I got to go home, but I still had gotten, like, the coverage and the, sure. you know. Which is what a lot of those shows are, right? It's, it is about marketing and coverage. And yeah, I think and that's why like 90%, 99% of the people who do it, they're not doing it because they want to win and have someone hold their hand through their career. They they just want the exposure. Right. And then hopefully, if all goes according to plan, they can walk away having all of this publicity and still be able to continue down the road that they had started down. And so where is home? Is it here in Ottawa? It is. Yeah, that's what you, if someone said to you, you're going home for Easter, you, you went, you went to Ottawa. Yeah, I'm going to Barhaven. Barhaven. <laughs> Barhaven, in fact. People are going to look that up now, see what Barhaven is. Uh, so, and, um, and what's your first instrument? The piano was my first instrument um, when I started playing music when I was seven. I mean, I always sung. I always right. would go into my parents' backyard and get on the swing set and swing back and forth and sing at the top of my lungs until the neighbors would call and be like, hey, can you <laughs> can you bring your daughter inside? Right. <laughs> We're trying to have a barbecue. Uh, <laughs> so that happened. Um, so yeah, when I was about six or seven, I started telling my mom that I really wanted a voice teacher. I really wanted to learn how to sing. And she had come from a musical family and she was familiar with, you know, sort of the process of learning music and learning theory and understanding, like, you know, the common principles. And she was also familiar with how um, it's a little bit more difficult using the voice because it's like, it's not a tangible instrument that you hold mm -hmm. in your hand. Sure. Um, whereas when you walk up to a piano, you can you can put your finger on a physical key and say, this is middle C, mm -hmm. you know? And so um, it's a lot harder to do that with your voice. Mm -hmm. It's impossible, actually. So my mom wanted me to, she wanted me to learn music on an instrument, something that I could see, you know, right. something that was visual, something that would help me sort of understand all the concepts. And so she said, okay, instead of taking voice lessons, why don't we put you into piano first? So I took piano from the time I was seven until I was about 12. And then um, learning classical and learning how to sight read and all the right. theory and everything. And then when I was 12, my mom said, okay, fine, we can, we can start learning voice now. And so... Um, I was already singing. I was singing the whole time, but this just gave me the chance to actually consult with someone to see if I was doing it right and if I was breathing properly. Mm -hmm. So my first instrument is piano, but I feel like I'm I'm more comfortable as a vocalist. I use the piano to write right. and uh, to explain things to the band. You know, I have an understanding of theory and everything like that because I took piano. But I still prefer to perform just using my voice. Mm -hmm. I don't perform with an instrument. And so when you write, do you write the music first or the lyrics first? It always happens differently. Um, sometimes I'll just come up with a line. Sometimes and it always happens when I can't write it down too. It happens when I'm driving or something, right. you know, like the most <laughs> inopportune moments. Or I'll you just be driving. The voice note thing that I know. actually have. I do that all the time. I have so many voice notes and then I'm driving. So I, can't label them like I, I I pick up my phone at a red light and I like whisper something to it and then I continue and then when I go back and reference it I have no idea what that was it's just a bunch <laughs> of numbers voice memo number 42 I was like I don't know what this is uh so sometimes I have to just sit with my phone and listen to all of my nonsensical memos until I find one that I'm like oh that was this song idea I had uh so yeah what comes first um sometimes it's just a line sometimes um it's actually rarely, it's rarely the, the chord progression. It's usually mostly vocal and melody, mm -hmm. lyrics and melody that come to me first. You know, sometimes I'll just, I'll be sitting and 
I'll just blurt out some word or some sentence or some, right. you know. And then and I have can, you had one of those the people, lots of people have talked to, uh, they talk about sometimes you get a song that just sort of like falls out of you. Have you had one of those? Or do each uh, of them maybe one once or twice. Of? Maybe once or twice a song just sort of came out really, really easily. But I, I, I can't stop myself from going back and editing, you know. I'll, I'll, have a, I'll spew out a song and it'll be like all three verses and everything's complete. The bridge is there and the chorus is there. And uh, I'll just save the word document, close it, walk away. And then a week later, I'll open it and I'll read it back to myself. And then I'll think, mm, I don't like this word, you know. And then I'll go and like pick up the thesaurus and try and find a better word for something. Right. And I'll start just making little tweaks and little edits. I have a really hard time just letting the first draft exist right yeah and so people describe your music as soul music is that how you describe it i think so um i think that my vocal stylings are definitely based in a soul kind of a mentality Mm -hmm. um i grew up in a in a household where my mom played a lot of jazz music Uh, so i listened to a lot of ella fitzgerald and jazz stylings were definitely something that appealed to me and I've definitely taken a lot from that world as well. But um, I always found that I really, really liked this, the grittier, sweatier, more like soul gripping songs. You know, these, you know, these Sam Cooke kind of sure. moments where it was just like, oh man, I can feel his agony. Whereas I didn't really find that as much in jazz music. I found a lot of the jazz I listened to was a little bit more dancey and fun and light, right. a little lighter. And so I think... That's why I call myself a soul singer, because I, I do like to dig a bit deeper. And so is it something that came to you organically, the soul singing and soul music? Is it, you know, when you were on the swing, is that what you were singing that kind of, you know, that kind of tenor? Yeah. Were, you that, were you that kid where people were like, she's seven? What? <laughs> <laughs> it was always soul. I think I was just really attracted to these singers that would just like wail, you know, they'd, they'd go up for some big powerful emotional right. note and I I found that stuff to me like a, a singer going and sitting on a, a you know like a like a really powerful bluesy note as opposed to a singer who, who goes and does some really like small little intricate thing with many right. notes in it I found that I find like the kind of the wailing moments more appealing to you yeah yeah, yeah. I like that I, I find it a little more dramatic and powerful that's the stuff that gives me goosebumps right yeah, we have. A, so hopefully later next month you're going to come see Betty Levet then. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she for me. We were having a really rough year at uh, jazz festival one year out in Halifax, and and Betty Levet was playing later in the week in the sort of, and we just had had three or four really difficult days, and the artistic director and I sat down at that concert and was out in the big tent, and Betty started singing Heart of Gold, but really slow. And this bluesy, and to watch a seventy-one-year-old woman sing, um, sing that song, it, it took a whole different meaning. And the artistic director looked at me and she said, "I think we're going to be fine." Oh, <laughs> she just, wow. you know, the whole, so the whole, but that kind of, it wasn't wheely or anything, but there was just something really gritty and and deep about the way that she did that song, and totally changed my view of of, uh, of Neil Young's song. But um, so, and you keep talking about your mom. Do you have siblings? I do. I've got two brothers. And are they here still in Barhaven? Well, no. I mean, actually, one is still in Barhaven, yes, my younger brother. Um, he's still going to school. There's quite a, a big age gap between me and my little brother. Right. Uh, a whole decade, actually. Ah. <laughs> yeah, and then my older brother is closer in age, but he is more, um, 
He's he's more of a more of a professional, more of a tie wearing, suit wearing, oh, yeah. <laughs> briefcase carrying type of indi- individual. He may or may not get out of that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only musician of the three kids. And neither of your parents were musicians. Uh, my mom has always been a hobbyist musician, right. and her father was a professional musician, and my dad was a pilot. So he came from a household that didn't really have a lot of music going on, which actually was really cool because it made him um, appreciate, you know, what I do mm. even more because he could never really wrap his head around it. Like right. when, when my mom and I would be talking music, my dad would just be sitting there going, how do you guys do that? Like, <laughs> how do you make the thing happen where the, the, the voices are together? And, right. and we're like, well, yeah, how, do, how, do you, how do you know how <laughs> those things know, He's always so impressed by it, which yeah. is Well, that's good, though, to have a cheerleader. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to tell someone about home, Ottawa or Barhaven, something that they don't know about here, what would it be? Something that they don't know about... About about Ottawa. About Ottawa. Oh, wow. What's a surprise thing? You know, if you grew up here and this is home um, and they've got all the tourists and all the pictures and all the things about Ottawa, what's the one thing they don't know about Ottawa that you, you would tell them? Holy moly. That's a really good question. I feel like people in Ottawa like to throw parties a lot. Um, house parties. It's a house party <laughs> I crowd? I feel like it's kind of a house party crowd. Um, there's not a lot of like super late night clubs in Ottawa. There's not, you know, there's not a lot there's of... There's not that uh, scene, you know, really. It's two o'clock in the morning. Like, And I know because I, I always finish my shows at like midnight or one. Yeah. And after we get off stage, we want to go somewhere and Well, people say it's sleepy here. Would you say you know? that's true? It's a little sleepy, but um, I feel like... Uh, People are like secretly partying at their houses. Though. There's always a good house party to go to. Like, so we're quiet. just pretending to be sleeping. It's <laughs> like you you drive downtown at two o'clock in the morning and it's like pretty subdued. Yeah. But uh, if you know the right people, there's always a house party going on. There's always some place to go and party. Um, I think that we've sort of started to rely on that, like after shows and stuff like that. We're like, where's everybody going? Whose house are we going right, to? Yeah. Right. Yeah, because there isn't. It's, even there's lots of places that seem to be midnight. They're done. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a bit of more of a culture of early shows here than some cities. Which I really love, actually. Yeah, and in fact, coming from the East, where the late show is the thing, um, there's a lot of people there talking about how they would like to change and have it be early shows. But there's a lot of stuff here, 7.30, 8, 8.30, it seems, you know, with the headliners on by 10, 10.30, and everyone is done by midnight. I don't know if that's because we all have to get up and go to work in the morning. I don't know what... Maybe. Has it always been that way here? I totally love that. No, I feel like... Uh, when I was just starting out um, playing in rock bands and things, there was no such thing as going on stage before 11. Mm. And it was so, I, I was never built for that. Like, I'm not right. a late night, you know, like I to start to, to start a show at 11, I, re- I would have to really like hype myself up. I'd have to stagger my meals and, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you Red Bull since eat noon. dinner at like 8.45 <laughs> just to give myself an hour to like digest it. Yeah, Red Bull's coffee, that whole thing. Uh, but as I get older... I find that, yeah, more and more places are doing the early show, which I love. So you've toured a fair bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, not so not as a touring musician, where's somewhere that you'd like to go back? Because often people don't... I think people think that touring is just this fun thing. Yeah, um, you miss everything when you're on tour. Yeah. Like, I've been so many places, but I've never seen them. You know, yeah. I've never seen those places. <laughs> I've seen, like, the, you know, like the main strip and the backstage of this club but uh, and the hotel I'll be of course um, but where would I love to go back to I loved uh, Appledorn in the Netherlands hmm. 
uh, there was this little club there, this blues club, and there was just the main strip. And I remember we arrived, we had a sound check at about three, and then between three and five, we just had two hours of like adventure time. And so I just started walking down this, you know, cobblestone like one of the front streets and there was it just went on forever and there was canals and bike paths and weeping willows and it was so beautiful but then we had to leave early the next morning so well it's interesting about the netherlands is that they really love canadian musicians they do yeah it's a it's a like to an abnormal amount i think i mean we got we were treated really really well there yeah and i know that um the people in the Netherlands are very, very much aware of the the Canadian contribution right. to, you know, how the world is now, like how the living situation is now in the Netherlands. And they're very much appreciative of... Mm, they've of, passed down this, <laughs> And they And yeah. they make sure that everyone knows, you know, they teach it in school and the kids know about it. Yeah. And uh, so when we were there, yeah, we were treated so well. And actually we were there on a day where they were, it was, they were doing a parade. There was a parade and they were actually people waving Canadian flags the day that I was there. So it wasn't a parade for you, though? It wasn't. No, it had nothing to do with us. But <laughs> it was like, hey, It was basically it was like a celebration of Canada. And I don't know if it was a Canada Day thing or if it was... Uh, it was just amazing. Huh. And I asked what was going on. And, you know, and one of the one of the people explained to me, they were like, well, Canada, <laughs> Canada yeah. played a big role in the Second World War. And I was like, well, that's so cool that, huh. that everyone knows, you know, yeah. there's yeah. no ignorance. And have you toured a lot in Canada? Not that much. Uh, I've done a lot um, here and east, but right. I've never really gone west, which is very Well, sad. and it's interesting <laughs> that there are Canadian musicians who have toured the world or Canadian artists who toured the world and are not as well known in their own country um, or have spent as much time in their own country. In particular, I find that in um, some of what people call the high arts, um, classical musicians, uh, theatre and dance, but there are more and more I'm finding because of of a number of relationships that we have with other countries that people are exporting. Well, that's what they call it in the industry, right? They're exporting, um, and so you're able to tour to the UK or to the Netherlands or Australia, or you know, you get invitations for those things. Sometimes uh, easier than getting an invitation to go west to something. Um, there's a great divide here in this country. I think that somewhere it's just so big. You yeah. know, it's so expensive to go. Like I, the I've I've played a couple dates. In Italy, I've been I've been dabbling in Italy just because I love going there so much. So I started booking shows there, and um, then looking at booking shows on Vancouver Island and realizing that, that the flight was going to be the same cost right. was like very daunting. Well, and getting a band from Toronto to Winnipeg over the Shield is a very difficult. It's you know the odd the odd you can get a show sometimes in Thunder Bay or Sudbury, but other than that, you're really you're kind of burning a day, which means you're paying all the guys. And, you know, and you're driving, if you're in that kind of, if you're in the driving category of artists, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, and also if you're also one of those gals who doesn't stay up past two in the morning, mm-hmm. probably you're not a, not, not driving through the night, driving <laughs> the, <laughs> over the shield. But, well, it's, I was, one of the things I was going to ask you, because we do talk about Canada um, and, uh, you know, if there was somewhere in Canada that you, you'd like to visit that you haven't, but it sounds like that's the West. Um, the West, yeah. I mean, I would love to go. I, I went up to Alert last year, which was incredible. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I got to go there twice. It wasn't last year. I guess it was two years ago now. Uh, I got to go once in the dead of winter and once in the dead of summer, which is still kind of like winter. <laughs> um, but it was 24-hour daylight. And then yeah. the first time was 24-hour darkness. I would love to go back. I would love to go back up north again. It was so 
vast and incredible and the flight to get there looking out the window and just seeing ice capped rock formations in frozen ocean water that was as far as the eye could see in every direction and this this landscape would look like this for like four or five hours right you know and you're just you just keep moving and you keep looking and and it just never ends and you're this you're thinking this is all this is all canada like there's so much up here yeah I think people don't realize how, even by people who live here, how big this country is. And especially if you spend time in Europe where you can drive from one end of Ireland to the other in about five hours and that might get you. Where does it get you here? Does it get you to Quebec City, I think, from <laughs> almost, Ottawa to Quebec City? Almost, almost get to you to the <laughs> suburbs of Quebec City. That's right. So uh, you decide what the word best means, but what's the best show you ever played? Oh my. The best show I ever played. Um... I think that my favorite show, I think the most exhilarating show that I ever played was uh, in Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu just this last summer when I was touring with the finalists from Lavoie, the eight finalists. Uh, We did a touring circuit all over Quebec and we got to go to the farthest corners of Quebec where, you know, there's no English spoken and I just had to like get by and it was incredible. Um, But that festival was it was massive. It felt like Woodstock when I, when right. I stepped out on stage and it was just like, it was like 40,000, 60,000. It was, it was just people as far as the eye could see. And uh, it was incredible. It was humbling. <laughs> it made me feel alive. Huh. Um, and I don't think that I've ever had like, you know, that sort of energy running through my body yeah. as much as I did that night. And, and even going out on a stage like that, you know, after dark with the stage lights on and singing a ballad and having a hush just fall over this crowd of like 60,000 people mm. and and feeling that you've actually, you're connecting with them. And do you find performing in Quebec is different than performing in the rest of the country? Yes, very much so. Um, I find that, I've, I've noticed this a lot in Europe as well, um, that there's a little bit more curiosity maybe about um, about you know musicians who are maybe not as well known. Right. Uh, I remember, you know, um, like showing up at a club that was packed and mm-hmm. um, asking people, you know, so how did you find out about the show or like what brought you here to this show? And and some people's answers would actually be like, well, I I don't I've never seen you before. I don't know about you, and I wanted to know. And right. so I'm like you. You knew nothing about me. You don't own, own my album. You've never heard my, yeah. you know, music. And yet you are willing to take a risk and buy this ticket to come out and see this show. And I noticed that just constantly happening. Do you all think over that's a, a different relationship with art? I mean, people say that about Quebec. I think so. Yes, I think that's what it is. I think it's just that they maybe they they value it a little bit more. And and I think they definitely they value it differently. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some key things we can see even in whether that's funding or that there's all these little beautiful venues all over Quebec. Um, and they and they survive and people buy tickets. Yeah, and the whole town goes. It's sort of a little bit like Cape Breton. Have you been to Cape Breton? I have not. There's these beautiful little venues all over Cape Breton Island. But um, but it's, and it's similar to that is that it's the thing to do on... That's the, the thing, yeah. There's yeah. a show happening on Friday. Well, that's, we're going to the show. Yeah. And that's it, you yeah. know? Yeah, and in, in the occasional in, in Cape Breton, which I find in uh, Quebec as well, is like there's a 200-seat venue in an 800-person town. <laughs> oh, like, you know, wow. it's that sort of thing where, you know, because the whole town goes. And, you know, there's a couple of those. I shouldn't make it sound like there's a whole bunch of those in Cape Breton. But in Quebec... Quebec, it feels like there's a lot of those. So you can actually do a circuit in Quebec and never come out of Quebec 
I mean, it's, it's been rare that I've played to uh, uh, an empty looking house in Quebec. Yeah. And, yeah. and I've done that so many times in the rest of the country, right. you know, especially when you're touring and you're new and, you know, you know, you don't really have a following yet. You're trying to break into a, a town for the first time. Yeah. Um, you sort of go in there expecting to see kind of a half empty room. And so I went into a lot of the Quebec gigs thinking that that's what would happen and then I'd walk out on stage to a completely full room and just be it must be hard for the Quebec artists to come to English oh, Canada it must be <laughs> <laughs> well this uh, this show that you have coming in May will be the third sold out show here right yeah this year yeah Yeah, and I think that makes you the only person to have done that in my, my short time here but um, especially in one year so I'm glad that you're able to talk to me today um, me too uh, and I hope that you have a great show and I'm sure we'll see you uh, well, if you're lucky enough to get a ticket for this May show, they'll see you then. But if not, we'll see you next year as well. Absolutely. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to We Love Canadian Music. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast. We hope you'll give NAC Presents a like on Facebook and find us online by searching for NAC Presents. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.